we see examples of the resistance that she faced as a woman interpreter of the Bible in an article in the Journal of Feminist Studies and Religion titled Mary Baker Eddy and the 19th Century Public Woman. Mm. Jean McDonald notes that Lutheran clergyman Alvin E. Bell referred to Eddy saying, how could anyone who knows what God's word teaches believe the word of any woman? You see that much of this, it's very personal. You know, she says that we have to have one Bible if man and woman are to be equal. Hi, I'm Gloria Flowers, and I am the resident intern here at the Mary Baker Eddy Library this summer. And I'm hosting this month's episode of Seekers and Scholars. Those clips you were just listening to came from episode 13, Women's Rights and a Woman's Right to Interpret the Bible. As a listener of the podcast, this is the episode I'm choosing to discuss with Jonathan Eater, today the regular host of this podcast. Hi there, Gloria. Hi. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's great to be in studio with you. It's a treat for us to be in conversation with an actual listener. You're working here this summer at the library, so we've gotten to know you a little bit. But we're so interested in uh, the choice you made, your listener choice, of a past episode to revisit for our end-of-summer episode. So thanks so much, Gloria, for doing that. We'll be resuming in September, rolling out full episodes again of, of new content. But I'm just so curious, Gloria, what was it about episode 13 which aired back in April of 2018, that you wanted to re-feature as a listener. There's a big difference between the prominence of the Bible during Mrs. Eddy's time and in today's world and in my generation. And it's curious to me because it seems like Mrs. Eddy could quote the Bible and probably go from Old to New Testament and back again (laughs) in a blink of an eye. And today it seems like There's a big portion of people in today's society that don't know any or just at least very little of the content that's in the Bible. This podcast episode really stuck out to me because it's something I genuinely didn't know. I didn't know that it was controversial or not appropriate for a woman to be publicly interpreting the Bible or to have her opinions public. I really liked episode 13 because— In it, we learned that the proponents of and against the women's suffrage movement were using the Bible to for their causes of either suppressing women's rights or fighting for them and using similar, if not the same, verses. It caught my attention because of how important the Bible was in big social movements like the suffragist movement. Yeah, and and one thing I like, you know, in terms of you selecting that clip of Dr. Darling is that, you know, the story gets even more complicated because, you know, you have Mary Baker Eddy who really leans into support, certainly for women's rights, um, but she also very much objects to the women's Bible. And you selected that clip from Dr. Darling talking about the women's Bible, and that was really the product of an initiative of Elizabeth Cady Stanton, who is one of the leading standard bearers of the suffrage mm-hmm. movement. But in the opinion of many pro-suffragists, including Mary Baker Eddy, but others, she went way too far with the Women's Bible, you know, to mm-hmm. object to the Bible in its totality, as Elizabeth Cady Stanton did, produce an, another Bible, an alternative <laughs> Bible for women, was seen as something that was 
far more destructive than than helpful. So the story in this episode is very rich and sort of looking at all these different dimensions of who's contesting the Bible, how they're contesting it during this period. Yeah, because it's interesting when she created the Women's Bible that just separates men and women from the start by doing that. If men and women are to be equal, there should be one Bible. I really like that because that makes sense. (sighs) Yeah, yeah. So, Jonathan, in episode 13, you had two guests, Mm -hmm. Dr. Sherry Darling and Dr. Barry Huff. How did you go about choosing them and choosing the episode itself? Well, thank you for asking about that. You know, there's a little bit of a backstory to this episode. You know, I've I've gotten to know Dr. Barry Huff over the years, but I first met him, I think I have this memory correct, at an academic conference. He, he actually is quite a well-known scholar on the book of Job in mm. the Bible, but at that time I learned about his essay being published in a volume called Strangely Familiar, Proto-Feminist Interpretations of Patriarchal Biblical mm. Texts. So that's quite intriguing yes. as, as a book title. And he had an essay in this volume called Mary Baker Eddy, Liberating Interpreter of the Pauline Corpus. And what was so fascinating for me, Gloria, in this article by Dr. Huff, by Barry Huff, was um, how he was exploring what are often thought of as problematic texts in the New Testament, in the epistles of Paul, or in epistles that are attributed to Paul but aren't necessarily by him, where gender is an issue, where there is language that is oppressive to women or that is diminishing for a woman, but which at the same time include these powerful, liberating and healing messages, and how Mary Baker Eddy went about distilling those messages out of the larger context so that that liberating and healing message could really be brought out uh, for the benefit of all of humanity, men and women. There is a healing message and there is love in these passages. It's just knowing where and how to look for it. That's what he writes about in that particular article. It seemed like this was something so relevant to the Mm -hmm. library. Some of his sources for his article come directly from our collections. So I wanted to talk to him about it, and he graciously agreed to be interviewed. The backstory is when the episode was being reviewed before being published online, uh, some people thought it was a little funny to hear only male voices talking about women's rights and a woman's right to interpret the Bible. So that was an opportunity then for us to bring in Dr. Sherry Darling, who mm-hmm. is editor of the Mary Baker Eddy Papers Project, who had done a lot of work on Mary Baker Eddy's knowledge of the Bible, her deep commitment to the Bible, and the long legacy of sermons that she had given on the Bible as part of the early history of Christian science. So we really uh, had to ask Barry back <laughs> to do yeah. the episode a second time. But as you know, because I think you know uh, Dr. Huff from your collegiate experience, he has a lot of grace. So um, he very kindly recorded it a second time. Well, thanks so much, Gloria, for researching this episode, sharing some highlights from it, giving your perspective. It's so, Gloria, if, if you don't mind, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your work this summer here at the library, because we've been able to borrow you for a little bit of time to work on this episode for uh, Seekers and Scholars in the program section of the library. But for the most part, 
your work is taking place in research and collections. What's going on? Yes, I answer research queries for patrons. I'll go into the archives and look up different topics and then narrow it down and like find answers to these specific questions that people have. And so I've learned a lot about Mary Baker Eddy's life, the early stages of the Christian science movement and students of Mrs. Eddy, the struggles she faced. And it's really fun when I get a query where I get to go call something from the stacks and get to look at it and examine it and find the answer that the patron is looking for. It's handling history. Mm. I love old books. I love old things and just caring for them. It's really special to me, which I think is really funny because I'm a theater major in college. (laughs) And here I am with history and writing. And I, I just never thought that was something I would fall in love with. I just love that I'm getting included on different projects in the department. I get to look at a whole bunch of like historical photos. It's just like a picture book into the past. Right. Yeah. It's so fascinating. You can just see, okay, that's how they live, but they're just like me. Things were just a bit different. I've written down two phrases that I think I'll probably steal from you. (laughs) One is handling history. I um, love that image. So thank you for for putting those words together. And then picture book into the past. I think you'll probably be seeing that in an episode title (laughs) in the future. And I'll I'll try and give you credit for it. Um, Well, thanks so much, Gloria. It's been wonderful having this time together. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of this. And now I would like to invite all of you out there who tune into this podcast to listen to episode 13, Women's Rights and a Woman's Right to Interpret the Bible. Welcome to Seekers and Scholars, a podcast found at the intersection of spiritual quest and scholarly inquiry and coming to you from the Mary Baker Library in Boston and online at mbelibrary.org. I'm Jonathan Eder, Programs Manager at the Library, and I'm so pleased to welcome Dr. Barry Huff, Assistant Professor of Religion at Principia College, and Dr. Sherry Darling, Editor of the Mary Baker Eddy Papers, to discuss women's rights and a woman's right to interpret the Bible. Welcome, Barry and Sherry. Thank you, Jonathan. Great to be with you. Thank you. Well, it's great to have both of you to discuss this topic. We're going to be looking at some of the very compelling research and writing that you've been doing, Barry, on Mary Baker Eddy as a biblical interpreter, and to look at it through the Mary Baker Eddy papers. So, Sherry, I thought I'd start just by asking you to summarize what the Mary Baker Eddy papers are about, and then for you to forecast how that's going to connect with what Barry is going to be bringing to this conversation from his research on Mary Baker Eddy as a woman uh, interpreter of the Bible. Sure. The Mary Baker Eddy Papers is uh, a major effort by the library to annotate and digitally publish Mary Baker Eddy's correspondence, her sermons, and other manuscript materials, providing some critical historical context. Uh, For example, if she's writing a letter and it says, Dear Student, we can tell you who the student was and give you a little background on that student. If there are verses in the Bible that she alludes to, you can click and get the whole verse so you know exactly what passage she's referencing. It's not interpretive, 
but it's just helpful in giving you that context. And so far, the first selection of Eddie's papers that we published included her sermons and related documents. Those are ones that are probably going to speak to the work that Barry's doing the most. But we've also begun to move chronologically. We worked uh, thematically the first time with the sermons, but we've decided now to move chronologically. Well, that's great. Thanks so much, Sherry, for giving us a little insight into the papers and into your work with them. So, Barry, if you could just tell us what has gotten you so involved in researching and writing about this topic of female biblical interpretation, particularly with Mary Baker Eddy and in that time period. For centuries, it's been primarily men whose interpretations of the Bible have been heard and have been given weight as the official interpretations, even though women have played a vital role in interpreting the Bible. In the 19th century, Mary Baker Eddy was boldly interpreting the Bible as a woman and also experienced a lot of pushback for doing so based on gender. In fact, it was in the 19th century that the Bible was frequently appealed to on both sides of the debate over whether women should have the right to vote. And so the very fact that Mary Baker Eddy, as a woman, would write a book titled Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures mm. was groundbreaking. So we see examples of the resistance that she faced as a woman interpreter of the Bible in an article in the Journal of Feminist Studies and Religion titled Mary Baker Eddy in the 19th Century Public Woman. Mm. Jean McDonald notes that Lutheran clergyman Alvin E. Bell referred to Eddy saying, how could anyone who knows what God's word teaches believe the word of any woman? Mm. Similarly, a columnist in the Presbyterian Quarterly in 1898 attacked Eddie's science and health because it challenged what the columnist viewed as the literal truth of the Adam and Eve myth that, in his words, makes woman's subjection to man a part of the creative plan and fundamental law of human society. And so the fact that Mary Baker Eddy interpreted the Bible, did so publicly, and did so to argue for what she described not only as our human rights, but our divine rights was both groundbreaking, but also brought about great resistance. She wrote an article in 1900 in the New York World titled Insufficient Freedom, where she identified what she saw as the most pressing dangers of the upcoming century. And the first that she identified was the robbing of people of life and liberty under the warrant of scriptures. Well, Eddie says that we're to take the inspired word of the Bible mm. as opposed to taking the literal word right. in many cases. She's interested in what does this say about God and our relationship to God? Mm -hmm. You know, Are there stories in the Bible that can illuminate this for us and, and bring healing? No one was ever going to take the Bible from Mary Baker Eddy. You know, she loved it from the time she was a child, and she was able to use it to help and to heal. When you look in the papers themselves and you see her sermons, her command of the Bible was 
just incredible. You know, she's able to go Old Testament, New Testament, and back again. It almost comes out of her just like a stream of consciousness. And she's understanding, too, that she has a very biblically literate audience. People then knew when she was referencing something, they they were understanding what she was referencing. One thing that we've been able to offer with the Mary Baker Eddy papers is something that we call our Bible taxonomy. And it's really a list in her letters and in her sermons and other manuscripts. We have tagged every time she's either quoted or alluded to the Bible. And so when you get to the Bible taxonomy, which is just this list of all of these verses, there you they appear in list form that you can see book by book what verses in the documents we've published so far, what verses that she's referenced. It's pretty fascinating. Mm, well, that's terrific. I love the title, Barry, of the book in which an article of yours appears. It's called Strangely Familiar, Proto-Feminist Interpretations of Patriarchal Biblical Texts, published by the Society of Biblical Literature in 2009. Your article in it is Mary Baker Eddy, Liberating Interpreter of the Pauline Corpus. How is Mary Baker Eddy a liberating interpreter of the letters of Paul? The reason why I referred to Mary Baker Eddy as a liberating interpreter of the Pauline corpus is because for centuries it was texts in the writings attributed to Paul that had been appealed to in order to deny women rights. Mm. And we see during Mary Baker Eddy's day that it was these very texts that were often lifted up by male pastors in order to argue that women should not have the right to vote. And yet what Mary Baker Eddy brilliantly does is turn, of all places, to texts attributed to Paul in order to argue for our human and divine rights. She frequently quotes Paul's statement in Acts, I was freeborn and uses that as a foundation to argue for our divine right to freedom. As Barry described, her interest in the, the human as well as these larger freedoms, freedom from sickness. And you, know, you see that throughout her writings and you can see it throughout the letters. One particular sermon that, that comes to mind in reference to these larger ideals of being able to choose your own method of healing, for example, there was an 1880 sermon that she gave called the Bill of Rights for 1880. Mm. And she delivered this at Hawthorne Hall in Boston, a hundred years after the Bill of Rights of the Massachusetts Constitution was passed in 1780. In 1880, when she's speaking, there was a medical licensure bill that was being debated in Massachusetts. You know, the previous decade, a number of states had enacted some form of medical licensure laws to limit the practice of medicine to physicians licensed by a state board. And the proposed bill in Massachusetts would have done the same, and it would have then limited the practice of Christian science. So she wrote in this sermon and preached in this sermon about how people had a right to choose their own method of healing and that they had a divine right not to be and not to be under uh, material laws. Ultimately, that bill was rejected by the Public Health Committee, and in April of 1880, it was actually withdrawn. So that's just an example that sort of springs to mind of her being willing to 
speak publicly and take a stand and to, you know, really do so for not only our human, but also our divine rights. And to see when doing research at the Mary Baker Eddy Library, how she lifts up passages in Paul's original writings and also in those writings that most scholars today don't feel were written by Paul, but that have been attributed to him, she turns to inspiring passages and even those texts to argue for our divine right to freedom. So today, most scholars feel that Paul only wrote seven out of the 14 books in the New Testament that bear his name. And those seven authentic Pauline epistles are Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, 1st Thessalonians, and Philemon. And while there are a few problematic passages about the role of women in these seven authentic epistles, these seven epistles also contain many powerful passages arguing for the equal rights of all people in the eyes of God. Passages like Galatians' proclamation that in Christ Jesus, you are no longer slave nor free, male nor female, Jew nor Greek, you are all one in Christ. Passages like Romans 16, that was initially a letter of recommendation for a female president of a church. On the other hand, most scholars feel that Paul did not write what are known as the Deuteropauline epistles, Ephesians, Colossians, and 2 Thessalonians, as well as the pastoral epistles, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. And it is in these epistles that we find some of the most problematic passages about women. When she deals with some of those more problematic passages in Ephesians, for example, it's inspiring how she tackles even these more difficult texts. For example, in the United States during the late 19th century, it was a passage from one of the Deuteropauline epistles, Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 23, that was often quoted in order to deny women civil rights. This passage states, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Twice in her writings, she omits the start of the verse Ephesians 5, 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as, and quotes only the ending of the verse. Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. By doing this, she highlights the healing message of Christ as the savior of the body while giving no voice to the more oppressive aspect of this verse, the verse that had been used during her day to deny women the right to vote. So Barry, it's fascinating what you're saying about Mary Baker Eddy's treatment of this particular biblical passage that has sometimes been used as a rationale for suppressing women's rights. But what is the thought when one selects only a portion of that text, as Mary Baker Eddy did, to bring out a different meaning and, and leaves out that first part of it that is problematic? During her day, and for many decades since, there was an emphasis on the importance of considering the literary context of a passage. And so, for a while, the move that she makes by highlighting the more liberating aspect of the passage and leaving the other to the side would have been frowned upon. 
a move that we've seen since then with the rise of feminist biblical interpretation and other modes of interpretation that value the background and context of the reader is a recognition that for so long, the voices of certain readers and characters have been ignored in the biblical text. And so today, in certain methods of biblical interpretation, the voice and context of the interpreter is just as important as the context of a biblical text itself. So the background of Mary Baker Eddy becomes just as important for her biblical interpretation as the context surrounding that verse. And with that recognition, her approach is recognized and appreciated. And the way that she is able to bring to the biblical text what I describe as a hermeneutic of healing, a lens that lifts up healing themes within the biblical texts based on her own life context and calling becomes a vital lens to shed light on the biblical text. And I think this sheds light in some ways on the difference between her approach to the Bible and the approach found in the woman's Bible that was completed during her lifetime. When commenting on this in an unpublished statement, Mary Baker Eddy wrote, It is wisdom to comprehend the Bible and to challenge or berate it before understanding it is to be ignorant of its worth and incompetent to comment upon it. The man's Bible is the woman's Bible. We cannot have two if the sexes are equal. I think this idea that it it matters who's doing the interpreting, that Mm. we're paying attention to that now. Mm -hmm. And with Mary Baker Eddy, you see that much of this, it's very personal. You know, she says that we have to have one Bible if man and woman are to be equal. Her interest in equal rights and her understanding is really, it's grown out of her experience. If you take, for example, she was interested in equal protection of a mother to govern her child. Mm-hmm. Eddie lost her young son and she was not in control of where he would go to live when they deemed her unwell and not well enough to care for him. And so it, that role was her father. And her father decided that it would be better for her son, George, to go and live with the woman, essentially a nursemaid who had been helping to care for him and her family. And Eddie didn't really have any say in that. She certainly had no legal say. Then later, when she marries Daniel Patterson, and it seemed to be for a desire to get her son back, he didn't step in and do that for her. He didn't sign the papers that would have helped bring George back to their home. And, you know, there was, again, nothing that she could do about it. Uh, Another aspect of the women's rights movement was the ability for women to own and govern property. And this, again, was really important to Eddie personally, because the papers were seen in the early 1880s. She was largely living off the income that she got from rental properties. Uh, that she owned. You can see at that point how she's really making her livelihood or a large part of it. You can see how important it would have been to her that women be able to govern property. 
what we see then in the papers, too, is an interest in women's rights, that human side. And we see that developing early, um, as early as 1871. We've got uh, letters where she's talking about going to see Mary Livermore, who might not be a name people recognize today, but in Eddie's time, she would have been as well known as Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton. We see some other individuals who come up in the documentation as well. In addition to Livermore, there's a woman named Heinemann, for example, in 1876, and Eddie corresponds briefly with her that she had attended a meeting about women's suffrage activities. We only have Heinemann's side of the conversation, but in her letter, she basically tells us what Eddie had written, that she was pleased to hear that Eddie espouses the principles outlined at the meeting and is willing to work for them. And later, going back to Mary Livermore, they actually start to correspond. Eddie heard her other talks that she's given, and Eddie ultimately sends her a copy of Miscellaneous Writings, which Livermore writes back to say how much that she appreciates and really thinks that it offers some great truths within it. You know, it just strikes me that the Bible is so important to Western civilization, and it's so important as the foundation of our civic sense of being, of our sense of right and wrong, and that if a woman is deprived of the right to interpret the Bible, then there is no security for any of her rights. The Bible was such a cornerstone of 19th century America and was appealed to as the foundation for society and civilization. It is no coincidence that Mary Baker Eddy's not only advocacy for, but exemplification of the equal rights of all of God's children is grounded in her right to interpret the Bible and in her full embrace and exemplification of that right. Thanks so much, Dr. Sherry Darling and Dr. Barry Huff for this fascinating conversation on women's rights and a woman's right to interpret the Bible. It's just been terrific to be with both of you. Thank you, Jonathan and Sherry. I loved the conversation. Sure, thank you. It's been a pleasure. If you'd like to explore the Mary Baker Eddy papers for yourself, please go to mbepapers.org or click on the link on this webpage or in the info tab of your podcast app. I'm Jonathan Eder, Programs Manager at the Mary Baker D. Library. Thank you for listening to Seekers and Scholars. This podcast was produced by the Mary Baker Eddy Library. Copyright 2023.